This is CD number 5 from the messages titled Faithfulness, presented by Dr. Joseph A. Webb, President of CPR Ministries, Longwood, Florida. For more information on CPR Ministries, please visit our website at www.cprministries.org. Okay, God. I don't understand it, but I'll trust you anyway. Good. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to prove you and test you, see if you'll really stand, whether you'll just not go by what you think, lean not to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge me, and then I'll direct your paths to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. You see, God will come up and shake your glass to see what's in it. Remember me telling you about that. He said, I want to find out what's in your heart, whether you really mean business with me. You say, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. He'll say, I'll try you. How about going to church on Sunday night during Super Bowl Sunday? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one, Lord, you know. Just want to see what's down in your heart. Who did I hear say, oh, me? I'm supposed to say amen. <laughs> whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. To know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Verse 3, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now you see, the children of Israel had come out, come out of Egypt, and all they were used to were the leeks and the garlic of Egypt. They were used to a certain diet. And God says, I've even got to change your diet. Someone said it would have taken 11 days to have gotten from the Red Sea to Canaan. God got Israel completely out of Egypt and could have gotten them to Canaan in 11 days, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take him to get Egypt out of you and me, but that's what he's doing in this life, trying to get Egypt out of us. And that's what he's saying here, that I had to feed you a totally new diet, and they were sitting and bawling and squalling in the desert. Oh, we ought to go back to Egypt and get some more leeks and garlic, man. Oh, I could just smell that leeks and garlic. I'm just so hungry for the leeks and garlic. God says, I've got to break that thing right now. And I see a lot of people that go around that just keep going back and sniffing at the flesh pots of Egypt. Just all, oh, man, I can still remember. Oh, God says, I'm going to get that appetite out of you. It takes 40 years. I'm going to get it out of you so that you can walk in my land, in the Canaan land, land flowing with milk and honey, and rejoice in the Lord for it. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land full of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive oil, oil, olive, oil, olive and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten, now here he begins to come to a conclusion, when thou hast eaten and art full, art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Now, he just got through saying, look, if you'll do this, God's going to bless you. If you don't, God's going to do this to you. But, oh, he wants to bless you. Oh, he wants to make you to be a blessing. Oh, he wants to prosper you. 
So beware when you get there and you get all this food in your house and you're fat and sumptuous and have all your needs met, look out. Don't forget him then. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who led thee in the wilderness with manna with thy fathers knew not, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good in the latter, at, at thy latter end. And thou say in thy heart, thine heart, my power, my power, and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, and that he may establish in his covenant, excuse me, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. All that warning, all that mercy, all that teaching came to the nation of Israel. And one of the greatest tragedies is to go over into the 11th chapter of Romans, actually chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, and Paul is speaking about Israel being destroyed and being torn off of the olive tree the natural olive tree, the tree of faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there were the branches, the 12 tribes of Israel. And God came along and said, I've had enough of this, I'm calling time out. And he cut off the natural branches. And Paul says, now he's grafted in the Gentile nations. And then he stops and said, now listen you Gentile nations, I want you to understand how God works. If he cut off the original branches, the nation of Israel, don't you think for one minute and don't you get proud to think that God can't do the same thing to you. He's going to graft in the nation of Israel again, the 12 tribes of Israel again, during the tribulation period. But he grafted in the Gentile nations. All you have to do is to recognize that God says, if, you're, if you'll be obedient to me, I'll bless you. And if you're disobedient to me, I'll destroy you. Look at the Roman Empire. The message of the gospel went throughout the Roman Empire. There are old buildings still standing that declare about Jesus Christ being Lord, and that's been rubbed out, and there is but one God, and He is Allah, is overprinted on it. Light was there, and light went out, and darkness came because the believers were not obedient to God's Word, and the truth left them and was taken from them. During the Reformation period, revival swept all of, Israel, of, of Europe. At one time, that was the area of the world that sent missionaries everywhere. Now today, where are we sending our missionaries? Spain, Italy, France, Germany. Do you know that they are some of the most heathen nations on the face of the earth today? Because they had light and because they refused light, that light became darkness and great was that darkness. And they have become a nation almost without any knowledge or any comprehension or any sense of following after God. There's much superstition over there and much fear, much religion but not true faith in Jesus Christ. At one time, it was brimful. 
But they were disobedient and they didn't obey God and they didn't keep His commandments. And they thought, God surely wouldn't turn us down. God surely wouldn't turn away from us while we're His chosen people. Then God established another nation. And they called it the United States of America. Founded upon principles of God's Word. And in that nation, the carnality of Corinthians started all over again. I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Lutheran, I'm this, I'm that, all these other things. And Paul said in Corinthians, you're just like carnal babies. One says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. You're all of either of Christ or you're nothing at all. And consequently, the church, by, by the work of Satan, the church has just been shattered. And I say it again, if Christ is the head, there is only one body in Christ. Christ only has one body or he's a, uh, he's a freak. Now that body may have different expressions and different manifestations and I don't care what the label says out front. If you and I have not been born again to the Spirit of God and have yielded our lives to the Lordship of Christ and given Him total control of our lives 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, we're fooling ourselves. God says you're either going to get blessed or you're going to get punished. Now He's not going to treat us any differently than He has the nations of the past. He's not going to treat us with any more grace than He did Israel. He pled with Israel. He begged Israel. He took them into captivity and brought them back and said, you have committed adultery against me. You've just sinned against me over and over again. But I draw you back and I love you and I give myself to you. Now, what makes us think that God's going to treat us any differently today as a nation? If we don't mean business with God, he says, I demand it's required of a steward that we be found faithful. I didn't even get to the individuals. I've only been talking about the nations. I want you to know God does the same way with, with individuals. We're going to talk about that tonight. See, God knows it's an amazing thing. You know, in the Old Testament, it, it was an interesting thing. The, the priests, I believe it's in the book of uh, Jeremiah, if I'm not mistaken, Ezekiel or Jeremiah, where the, where the priests thought they really had it over on God. Here was the temple, and upstairs in the sanctuary, uh, where the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place were, uh, they went up and they were as pious as pilgrims. I mean, to look at them, you would have thought that they were... Th just, it couldn't be any more religious than that. And God said to the prophet, I'm going to give you a vision now. You go with me. And he went up and he said he was over the temple and all of a sudden he was down and God cleared out a place to where he could get down to the second or third basement under the temple and he made a hole in the wall and he dug in and he crawled in under the temple and here were all the priests with all these signs of the zodiac and all these incense uh, trays were going around and worshiping all the false gods all in secret. Nobody knew, see. They had their own little gods down below and they would pray to their gods. They wanted to make sure that if they didn't get the right one, didn't have the right one, they'd, they'd appease all the rest of the gods. And there they were down in the basement and he saw with all these strange looking creatures and everything else, they were worshiping them in the basement of the temple of God. You know, it's the same way today. Many times we'll come to church and just be as pious as pilgrims and you just know that nobody ever knows anything any differently, but we'll get home and then down in the basement of our temple, we'll worship other idols. Whether it's fame, whether it's fortune, whether it's popularity, whether it's nicotine, whether it's alcohol, whatever it might be, that's our little idol that we got down in the basement of the temple. And God says, I want to purge the whole temple. I want your temple clean. I want you to be faithful to me. See, I'm dwelling, I'm supposed to dwell in that temple. And I want a clean temple. I want a pure temple. I want you to be a holy people. Totally separate. Now God says, I'm not going to grab you by the nap of the neck and make you do it. 
But if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters in his own life also, he can't be my disciple. But I want you to be my disciple. And the evidence of being my disciple is that old things have passed away or have been cast away, and behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. To where you see things in a new light. And you say, well, Brother Webb, I, I, I just can't, th th these things have just got a hold of me. I can't let go of them. Well, that's why I thank God for Mark, the 16th chapter. When it isn't you and it isn't God, then it's someone else. And God says that these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out demonic spirits. And there have been people in our ministry that we have seen have been totally bound and hated themselves for it. They said, I don't want this defilement in the basement of my temple. I want it out. I want to be clean. And they've come and said, I, I've fought this thing and I've resisted this thing, but I've not found freedom. And I want to be faithful to God. And what a glorious thing it is to be able to say, I command in the name of Jesus that this person be released. When they're willing to be released, God says, I'm willing for them to be released. And immediately God makes them to be what they want to be. There isn't anything that God asks us to do, but what we can do it. Because he will give us the strength when we tell him that we sincerely want to be what he wants us to be. And that's where it starts. He says, you draw nigh to me, and then I'll draw nigh to you. You hunger and thirst after righteousness, and then you'll be filled. He says, I'm going to leave the initiative to you. You take the first step, and then I'll follow. Now, I know that no one can come to the Lord except the Holy Spirit draw him, or the Father draw him. We can't come to Jesus except the Holy Spirit convicts us. But that's why I'm thankful the Holy Spirit can convict through the Word of God any area in our life that ought not to be there. And he says, I just want you to know it's not a preference. I'm just simply telling you that if you say you're my steward, that the evidence of it is faithfulness. And if it's not faithfulness, God says, and we'll get into that tonight in the book of Hebrews, it said, hey, don't look back at that and say God's going to deal any differently with you. You're not that special. God deals with all of us as children. He's no respecter of persons. But He wants to bless us. And when we're faithful to Him in these areas, and if we're not faithful, we can say, God, I want to be faithful. And this has been a block for years in my life. Lord, I want to be free from it. He says that there's freedom for you. How many of you have had that kind of an experience in the past where there's no freedom, but you got freedom now and you know it works? For some weeks now, I've been speaking on the subject of faithfulness. And uh, the basis of it is that we are to be like father, like son. We are to be like God the Father, and we know that his nature is faithful. We know that Jesus Christ is called faithful, the faithful one. The Holy Spirit has been faithful in his ministry, and if we have the Holy Spirit within us and we have been born of God, our nature and disposition should be such that when people look at us, they experience uh, or they, they see manifested before them the very nature of God manifested especially in the area of faithfulness. To where when you give your word, your word is as good as your bond. It's interesting today how this world and this nation has turned because I can still remember as a child you could shake hands with someone and say, I will do it, and it was a solid contract. Today you will, sign, you will not only say it, it was interesting the other day on television, I just thought of this, that, that out in Texas and Oklahoma, the oil companies, these uh, wildcat oil companies, said in the 2020 program, I think it was, 
that uh, they will make multi-million dollar contracts with a shake of the hand. That's it. Okay, we agree. We'll do it. And they said it was interesting. They had some people back east that wanted to make an investment down there, and so they sent their Philadelphia, Philadelphia lawyer down there to talk to them about an investment in a certain oil field. The Philadelphia lawyer said, okay, uh, I'll work it out. And he went back up and uh, came back about three weeks later or four weeks later. He had a 50-page agreement and they looked at him and they said what's this for he said for that thing we talked about three weeks ago they said oh good night we've already closed that one and six others since then forget it you're too late and I thought that's that's what's happened today an agreement today not only has to have everything defined and described and worked out in detail the insurance policy for our church it was interesting the other day I was just kind of going through it you know and I found out all those words what they're actually saying is we're protecting ourselves against any possibility you know that it's got to be exactly in such and such a way and then you've got to sign it with blood and then sometimes you have to have people witness that signing and then sometimes you have to put a, a deposit along with it only because this world has come to a place where you can't trust anyone and the word of God says that you and I, if we represent Jesus Christ, our word should be our bond. If we say it, you can count on it's going to happen. Now, I'm not talking about that that is a preference. The word of God says that that is a requirement. You know, that it says time and time again that we are to be a peculiar people, a different people in all of our manner of living. We talked about the fact of God's faithfulness in our life, as I said a while ago, and uh, the, that when unfaithfulness was manifested, there was a price to be paid. I brought out how that uh, God loved Israel. He found Israel, as he described it, as a, a, a child that had been thrown away at birth with the, the, uh, the uh, tube still on it, not even tied, and they had to tie up the tube and wash the baby off and raise it up. It was not beautiful. It was not worthy of being chosen. It had no merit in itself. But he reached out and he washed it. He raised it up and he dressed it and adorned it and he loved it and he called it his own. And he said, now I'm going to bless you with all these things. If you'll just be faithful and obedient to me, I'll bless you in all these ways. But if you aren't faithful, I will have to judge you. And he judged them, and they would repent, and they would be blessed, and they would backslide, and he would judge them over and over again. Abraham, a friend of God, the very friend of God, the man of faith, the father of faith, was unfaithful when God called him out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees to come into the, the land of Israel that was promised to him. When he wasn't faithful, God wouldn't even speak to him again until he got rid of Lot. I talked to you last week about how God says, other people I speak to, I speak face to, I mean, to, in dreams, but to Moses, I speak face to face. I don't speak in clouded uh, sayings, but he and I talk face to face. He's my friend. I, I have great confidence in Moses. But when Moses was disobedient to God, God brought judgment on Moses and said, you can't go into the land, we'll have to take you, you'll have to, you will have to be taken out of this land. Now, some people say, well, Brother Webb, that's in the Old Testament. I want you to know something. I said God is faithful and God does not change. God does not change. Some people say, well, that's the Old Testament God. I've got news for you. The Old Testament God is the New Testament God, and he has not changed. You say, but in the Old Testament, they were saved by the law, and the New Testament by faith. You're wrong. In the Old Testament, they were saved by faith, just like they're saved by faith in the New Testament. The Scripture says that they believed God, and it was accounted unto them for what? Righteousness. That's not works, that's faith. Now, works follows faith. James says, if you believe, it'll show. Don't tell me you believe, and then don't let it show. 
Look with me, if you will, in 1 John, the third chapter. I want to bring us over into some New Testament teaching now concerning the same thing that God expects in the life of believers, faithfulness. 1 John, the second chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. John writing to Christians. 1 John, chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the eyes and, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now let me clarify again so that we don't get sanctimonious and think that God's saying in order to be spiritual, you've got to be poor. That's not what he's saying. He is saying don't set your heart on those things. Don't let those things control you. That's what he means by love, not the world. We are in the world, and God is going to use the material things of this world for us to be able to propagate the message of the gospel. But he says, make sure that you don't become a reservoir, but rather a channel with the things that come to you. God will bring it to you, but you let it continue to flow that he might bless you. Verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, does it say just that he that believeth? It doesn't, does it? He that signs a card, he that joins the church, he that is baptized, he that walks the aisle, he that raises his hand, he that cries, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time time they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would no doubt have continued with us but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us now you know i have used that verse many times right here in this fellowship i said if someone knows that this is where they belong and they come here and they hear the Word of God preached and the Spirit of God speaks to them. And they say, when he preaches the Word of God and the Spirit of God speaks to me, and I believe that's my shepherd and this is the flock I belong in, then they'll come in and they'll stay. Now, I've had times in my ministry where people have come in and they've said, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. And just about the time the Word got a little abrasive, their hackles started raising up on the back of their neck. You know, wool doesn't stand up on the back of a sheep's neck. But hair will stand up on the back of a, of a dog's neck or on the back of a goat's neck, I understand, a little bit. But uh, I've found out many times, you know, I have never seen a sheep lost yet. I've lost a lot of billy goats, but I've never lost any sheep yet. And the truth is, if people come here and say this is where they belong, that's between them and God, and they will have to answer to God if they don't stay. If they come here and stay when they don't belong here, they'll have to answer to God for that too. And I don't want that responsibility. I want those that fellowship in this body with this body to say, this is where the Spirit of God has led me to fellowship. Now, some of you have probably come here from time to time and you found we've never had an altar call where people come down and shake the preacher's hand and join the church. You know something? If you're born again of the Spirit of God, you've already joined the church. I'm talking about the universal body of Jesus Christ. Now, you may belong to the universal body of Christ, but there needs to come a time when you find the flock that you belong in. 
The Word of God says that God has given to the body men, gifted men, that He has called and, and, and given gifts to, to minister to the body, to edify the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, I know that my, the, the gifts that God has given me are not going to be able to manifest or, or uh, reach everyone. Brother Jim Hewins across the street, God's going to use him for some. Pastor Baker down here at the uh, Nazarene Church, God's going to use him to reach some sheep. And they'll be his sheep, and I don't want his sheep. Other Baptist churches, Methodist church, Presbyterian churches, where they're truly born again, they're sheep in those bodies, and there's only one head, and that's Jesus Christ. And I want them to be just as sure of the fact that they belong there as you are sure of the fact you belong here. If you're not sure, find out. And if you go out from it, it's evidence that you are not a part of this particular body. And I'm not hurt. I've had people come and leave, and then others come up and say, Oh, Brother Webb, go after them, go after them, go after them. I said, not on your life. The scripture, scripture says that a sheep follows the shepherd, not the shepherd chases after the sheep. Hello? Now that's what the scripture teaches. And I've had people say, are you my shepherd? And I say, I don't know, am I your shepherd? Well, don't you know if you're my shepherd? No, the scripture says the sheep know their shepherd, not the shepherd knows their sheep. You're supposed to know who your shepherd is. And I'll tell you when you'll find out if I'm your shepherd, you'll come and ask for some spiritual advice and I'll give it to you and how you react to it. That'll be pretty good evidence whether you're a sheep or not. I'm not talking about blind obedience. I'm talking about obedience to the Word of God when I say this is what the Word says and this is the principle on which you should operate. Well, I'm not going... All right. I'm not going to force you either. See, God doesn't make anybody do anything, but He sure knows how to make you willing to do what He wants you to do. And I, I don't know about you, but I've been taken around the barn several times by the Lord in my lifetime. And I found out one thing a long time ago. I'll never say I'll never do it. But the times I say I won't do that, look out. Because that's just exactly what you will do sooner or later. In fact, I've had people say that they said I won't do this. And God has just worked with them and worked with them. And finally they said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And he says, you don't have to. I just wanted you to be willing to do it if I told you to. You see, but I'm talking about sheep. And, and John says here in the 19th verse, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Now, in joining for this particular fellowship, we've never had anyone sign any papers. Some of you that are visiting, I want you to understand this. I don't come to the house and say, now, will you do this and will you do that? You come and if God leads you to be here and you say, Pastor, this is where I feel I belong... There are, in that little brochure that you receive are the requirements or standards for membership in this church. Someone who can give testimony of having been born again of the Spirit of God, making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Secondly, that you have been scripturally baptized. Now, I believe that if you're buried, you're to be put under. And that's exactly what the word baptizo means, to be overwhelmed with a fluid or to be put under a fluid or to be dipped into a fluid. That's what it means, and it's in symbolic of the death of uh, your dying with Jesus Christ and being buried with him and rising up to walk in new, newness of life in Jesus Christ. Third thing is that you are in agreement, basic agreement with the doctrines of this church. The next thing is that you attend and support financially and with your presence the regular meetings of this fellowship. And by the way, this is why I want to encourage you, if you are giving on a regular basis to this body, uh, that you do it through the envelope system that's on the back of the pews there. So we'll just be able to keep a record of it. At the end of the year, you'll be able to receive 
a receipt. And by the way, I just heard on television the other day that if you uh, that from now on the automatic 10% discount for giving to charities is out. Starting this next year, you will have to prove that you gave. You'll only be able to deduct $25 otherwise. So keep a record of all your giving to the church by putting it in an envelope, writing your name on there, and we keep very good records here in this church. And at the end of the year, you'll be able to receive your tax-deductible receipt to apply for your long-term or your long-form uh, income tax. The fifth thing is that you are submitted to the, those in authority within this body. That does not mean they control you. It simply means that you know that God has established spiritual authority. And that when there is a, a question that comes uh, concerning the direction that the church will go, the leadership will be praying about it, and God will direct and show them, and you're welcome to go and talk to them at any time. But you believe that they're trying to listen to the Lord and walk with the Lord. That's what Paul said, you follow me as we follow Christ. Now, uh, I didn't even plan on putting all that in here this morning, but I want you to understand that you choose whether you're going to be a part of this body or not. And you choose whether or not you're not going to be a part of this body. And if ever the day comes, you said, I just cannot swallow that anymore, and you go out that door, no one will ever hassle you or harass you about it. But neither will you be able to go to another state if you move and say that Pastor Webb's got your membership tied to a tombstone. Now, if you're good, some good Baptist, you know what I'm talking about. I actually used to call on people in this community, and they'd say, we're members of such and such a church up in Alabama. Uh, we're not sure we're going to stay here. Oh, really? How many years you been here? Well, we've been here seven years thus far, but we're just not sure we're going to stay here or not. Did you bring your dog with you? Yeah, but you didn't bring your membership with you. No. You know what's happened in a lot of those churches? Way back there when they were little kids in church, they went forward and made some kind of a decision, I believe. That is the totality of their spiritual depth. And they got put into the, member, into the water and put into the church, never having a vital, vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, but they were Baptist or Methodist or whatever it might be. And from then on, all they have to do is just transfer their membership. No more commitment, no more testimonies, no more experience in their life. Do you know something? That's a good way to promote death. I want anyone to know that if, they're, if they are a part of this body, they are declaring, they are declaring that there was a time in their life when they could say, whereas I was blind, now I see, and Jesus Christ is Lord of my life today. Now, I don't care what decision you made 30 years ago. That doesn't mean a whit to me. My question is, where is Jesus Christ in your life today? That's what we're talking about right now. You say, if we are born again of the Spirit of God, we should be growing every day. And if you and I are not as close to the Lord as we were three years ago, you guess who moved? He said, you move close to me and I'll move closer to you. You hunger and thirst after righteousness and I'll fill you. So we can't blame God if we aren't where we ought to be with him, can we? He wants to fill us. He wants to draw nigh to us. Verse 20, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Let me ask you something. Who's he writing to here? Sinners? Hello? What's he writing to? Who's he writing to here? Christians. You see that? I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth. All right, verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. 
Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. Why would he tell him to let it abide in him if, if there's no chance of it not abiding in him if it's ever gotten in there? Now think about that a minute. He says, by an act of your will, you let what you've received abide in you. You give it room. You let it grow. You, you cause it to continue to, to come to fruition. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. I'm going to read that verse to you again. I want you to underscore it. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall what? Remain in you. Ye, shall all, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. He has promised it to us. Now you abide in it. It's for you. Would you turn with me to Acts the 10th chapter? Acts chapter 10. This was written to the Gentiles, New Testament Gentiles. It was not written to the Jews here in the 10th chapter, by the way. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. This is when Peter was with, with Cornelius in the house, when Peter was very, very stunned because all of a sudden the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Verse 34 and 35, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now what made him say that? Now you know that up to that time Peter said, I wouldn't go near these Gentile dogs. No way. I wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. I wouldn't come into their house for anything. And so God had to give him a divine revelation of this sheet full of unclean animals coming down in front of him three times. And he said, Lord, I don't understand. You, you, you want me to take and eat? No way. I've never touched something unclean before in my life. And so God had to reveal that to him and say, now there's some men coming to the door and I want you to go with them. Don't you imagine that Peter was a little shocked when he got to the door and found out it was Gentiles? I imagine he thought... Satan, I rebuke you for that kind of a revelation. <laughs> How can any Jew go with a Gentile? But he said, you go. And when he got to the door, he found out the Holy Spirit had sent the Gentiles to get him. Remember I told you God works on both ends of every situation? And then when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they looked at the Jews, looked at each other, and said, what are we going to do? What can we do? We can't discriminate anymore. They got the, you remember what we got on the day of Pentecost? It hit them too. God is no respecter of persons. Verse 35, but in every nation, now God, I want to show you, I told you how God worked in the Old Testament, look how he works in the New Testament now. But in every nation, he that feareth him, period, is that what it says? What is that? Is that a period? Comma, oh, we've got to go on, the thought isn't finished yet. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. Faithfulness worketh righteousness. He that believeth receiveth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. I, I just want you to see that that emphasis is placed there. Look in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Now, by the way, let me stop and tell you that I do not, I repeat, I do not believe in salvation by works. But I believe if someone is saved that the faithfulness will manifest in the, itself in their, their lives and they will work. And that's the evidence that Christ has done a work in their hearts. I don't care how much I say that I love Christ. If I love him, it'll show. 
I heard of the wife who said her husband was continuously saying, Oh, honey, I love you. Honey, I love you. Honey, I love you. She says, Then put some wood in the firebox. Just to sit there and tell me you love me and everything going to pot around here, that's not good enough. Put some wood in the firebox if you love me. Fellas, quit grunting because their wives are hitting you in the elbows, in the, chin, in the uh, ribs. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 24. Paul said, by the way, uh, this is going to be talking about a race, and only the citizens of heaven can run in this race. Citizens that are ready for heaven, uh, on their way to heaven, can run in this race. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, or all of them run, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. In other words, you run so that you can receive the prize. You be the one to win that prize. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Now what's he talking about here? He's saying that if a man is going to run in the Olympics, you don't see him out the night before chugging, chugging a bunch of, of uh, pop and chocolates and uh, uh, all these sweets and all that other stuff, and you don't see him staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning watching the television until it comes on with a pattern and you sit there staring at the pattern. He says when they've got a goal to reach like that, they condition themselves. They put their bodies under. They torment themselves. I was at the Nautilus Club this last week, and I was working on one of those machines on my legs, you know. And when I got off the machine, I said to the person next to me, I said, you know, if we had to do this, we'd really scream. <laughs> Making your muscles ache and hurt because you're trying to achieve something. And that's what he's saying here. There are a lot of people that, for an earthly crown, just temper themselves and really restrict themselves that they may win. Have you ever seen a true capitalist? I mean, he'll go night and day, seven days a week, full steam, 20 hours a day if he has to. And if he has to see more people and give a little bit more, he'll do it because he's got a goal in mind. And you know something? When he dies, he's going to lay it all right down there. It's not going to go with him. Not one cent. And he says, now, recognize that. You say that you're running in a race for eternity, and those that are just running in a race for time and for material blessings... They give much more than you and I do, and here we're trying to work for an eternal crown. We an incorruptible. Verse 26, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that shadow boxes or beateth the air. I'm serious about it, he's saying. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, that word there in the 27th verse, a castaway, another term for it, it lest I should be disapproved, uh, uh, the Greek word is, is adokimos, adokimos, and that actually means to be set aside when they're giving out crowns. It does not mean necessarily that he's going to lose his salvation. It simply means that he has been working for a crown. He has been running to win a race all this time. And he said, I am continuously concerned that the time comes in my life that I let up and God says, well, I'm going to have to set him aside and he won't be able to get that crown that I have for him. Now, there are crowns, five different crowns described in the Word of God that you and I can set as a goal in our lives that by the grace of God we'll receive those crowns. And Paul says, after all this time I've been preaching, I'm still concerned. I still fear lest the time come in my life that I quit putting my body under, I quit being disciplined, I set aside the priorities in my life, and God says, you've missed that crown. Paul says God doesn't 
desire, but God requires faithfulness, steadfastness, pers steadfastness, persistency in our daily walk with Him. Look over in the book of Hebrews to see some of the warnings that were given. You remember I told you about the children of Israel in the Old Testament and the experiences they had? You must remember that all these things were written in the Old Testament, the Scripture says, were written for our admonition. Now, what does it mean for our admonition? If you are being admonished about something, what does it mean? If I walk up to my son and say, Son, do you remember the last time you did that? And I begin to work with my buckle. Do you remember the last time you did that, what happened? You still remember? I want you to know that if it happens again, I've got another one in my drawer. And you say, that's threat threatening. No, it isn't. I'm just admonishing him. I don't want to do it. I'm just letting him know there's a cost involved there. And it says it's written for our admonition. So when we look back here and see how God dealt with the nation of Israel, and when they were disobedient, God judged them. And when we see how Abraham was disobedient and God judged him for it, and when we see how Moses was disobedient and God judged him for it, and I could go all the way through the Old Testament and show you that when men, men were disobedient, God judged them for it. He's saying, now that's an admonition for you to know that I'm no respecter of persons. You say, Brother Webb, is that what it means? Well, look at Hebrews, the second chapter, beginning of verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip or let them drift away from us. We need to give very earnest heed to these things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them drift away from us. How many of you know that there may have been a time in your life when you were much closer to Jesus Christ than you are right now? When things used to really be clear cut, clean cut, as far as what was sin and what was not sin. What you would allow, what you would not allow. Now, the writer of the Hebrews says, check that out. You should recognize that you don't dare let these things slip from you. It doesn't say that God is going to be responsible if you let them slip. It says that you and I must be careful not to let these truths slip away from us. Now, please, don't let anyone go out of here saying, Brother Webb, I feel condemnation all over me. I'm not the devil. I'm not going to condemn you. If there's conviction, that's one thing. And when conviction comes, if you say, Father, I recognize that that is sin. I recognize that I have failed. In the name of Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? And by your grace, I'll correct this thing in my life. You don't need to be under condemnation. Deal with it. You say, this is legalism. No, it isn't legalism. Never once have I yet said, do this and this and this and you'll be saved. I'm talking about a faithfulness in your relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't seem to be any problem when I say today, well, in some areas it would be, but if I said to you, God expects you as a wife to be faithful to your husband. God expects you as a husband to be faithful to your wife. You say, amen, brother. And if I use that very same phrase and say, God expects you to be faithful to Jesus Christ. You expect Jesus Christ to be faithful to you. Some get up and say, oh, brother Webb, he's going into legalism now. He's going, he put me into bondage now. No, Jesus said if you are, and if you and I are faithful to him, we come into freedom, not, not bondage. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall bring you into legalism. Is that what it says? <laughs> ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, in the Hebrew, to know something, knowing the truth, was different. Now, the Greeks felt you could know it by having head knowledge. 
But when the Hebrews or the Jews spoke of knowing, they meant you know it by experience. If ye shall know the truth, you shall be able to, if you walk in the truth, then the truth will set you free. You know, how many of you know that you know a lot of things that you aren't walking out yet? I've got to raise my hand. I know that. See, a lot of things that I know up here that hasn't gotten down here yet. And that's the thing God's doing. He's in a filtration process, getting these things from here to here. Someone said there's 18 inches from he between heaven and hell, having some no, uh, truth here and not having it here. And there's, a, there's 18 inches between joy and peace also, getting it from here to here. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Now, I'm not talking about things you don't know. I had someone to say to me one time, I'm not going to go back to church now for a couple of years. I said, why is that? They said, because I already know more than I'm doing, and I'm going to wait till I do what I know. I said, no, no, that's not the way you do it. You keep on fellowshipping, you'll never get caught up. But you keep on coming, and God will speak to you in certain ways to where you'll be able to continue to grow. But if you get away from God's people, then the Spirit of God can't continue to deal with you and show you more and more areas. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience or unwillingness to hear received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect or are indifferent to so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. It said, now you look in the Old Testament, how many times did the angels speak to the children of Israel and the saints of God in the Old Testament, and they were disobedient? Every disobedience received a just reward. Every single one of them. No one got away without it. How much more? Back there is just the angels. Now God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit themselves have come and manifested and revealed to us the total plan of God's salvation. It's all here. In the past, God winked at, let slide by, let slip past, overlooked sin, but now commands men everywhere to repent, it says. How much more, now that you have the truth, Jesus came and up to that time, a certain portion of God's revelation had come to man. But when Jesus came, he said, I am Alpha and I am Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the total alphabet of God. God has exhausted his vocabulary in me. All 26 letters are in me. In any way you want to say it, I am the full truth. When you hear me, you've got it all. Now, how much more, since you have all the truth laid out before you, how much more? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? He was making the comparison. He said, if they didn't get away with it, how much more should we realize we're not going to get away with it? Jesus Christ has revealed himself to us, and he says, I expect for you to be faithful to that which you declared with your mouth. I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father in my life. Look over in Hebrews, the third chapter. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the days of temptation in the wilderness. He says, you've got to know the Old Testament to know what I'm talking about, but don't ever harden your heart like they did in the Old Testament out there in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. 
Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Now these were people that had been under the blood. Remember they were in Egypt, and they stayed in the houses, and they put blood on the post and the lintel and were protected, divinely protected by God. And it's interesting, he told them, you stay in the house. God isn't going to jerk you out of that house, but don't you come out of the house either. If you come out of that house where the blood is on the doorpost and the lintel, I want you to know that you will get the same judgment as the Egyptians do. But he covered them with the blood, he brought them through the Red Sea, and he brought them into the wilderness as his chosen people. Those that he had selected to go into the promised land. And he said he was grieved with that generation. Verse 11, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren. Search your heart, brethren, is what he's saying. Brethren, by the way, does that sound like Christians? Hello, is he talking to Christians here? Search your heart, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. By the way, that in the Hebrew, in the Greek is in the tense where it means keep on exhorting on a continuous basis. Keep on exhorting one another daily while it is called today. You know, a lot of people don't mind me preaching from the pulpit. But when I have to come to them directly, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and exhort them or rebuke them, they get a little bit upset. And I tell them, hey, listen, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. But I have a responsibility to God, and I see that this is an area of difficulty and problem that you need to deal with. And I'm asking you to deal with it for your sake, for the kingdom's sake, for the body's sake, because I love you. And it says here that we're to go on exhorting. And so when I see people, a lot of times I'd love to say, God bless you, I love you, and I just hug them, you know, and just do all those good things. But if I see an area of problem as a shepherd, if I see a sheep with a cockleburr in it or a cut on his foot or a bruise on it, I'm responsible to start dealing with that. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That actually means lest you begin to miscalculate time. In other words, say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll repent tomorrow. I'll get straightened out tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. i got a little time left. He says, now don't miscalculate your time by the hardening of your heart and the deceitfulness of sin. By the way, that's written in the durative present in the Greek. Durative present imperfect, which means that it is imperative. This is a requirement for you. It's very urgent that you understand this particular truth. Verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but them that believed not? You know something that's nothing but unbelief that have kept a lot of saints today out of the abundance, out of the victory, and out of the healing that Jesus Christ has for them. God wants to do much, much more in their lives, but for the same reason as the children of Israel had in the Old Testament, because of unbelief and unwillingness to do what God's Word says and giving themselves earnestly, searching their heart, making sure that they're not letting these truths slip, they're missing all the things that God has for them. Look at verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. 
Now let me tell you something that really concerns me. Do you know when God couldn't deal with moms and dads back there, what he did? He said, well, I'll let this bunch die in the wilderness and I'll take the next generation in. And when I see young people more on fire for Christ than the parents, I become concerned. And I begin to wonder if God's not going to have to pass up another generation sometimes to get those that will be obedient to him. When truth comes from God's word, I see many times young people are able to grasp that truth and go with that truth and praise God for that truth and walk and live in that truth than the parents will. And so God says, well, I'll just bypass that generation. I'll go to the next generation and bless them because they'll believe me. And he says it's because of unbelief. God cannot do for us the thing that he wants to do. So then verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, let us therefore, what? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. But it says, therefore, let us fear. Beloved, that's talking about a different fear here. It's talking about the fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. To recognize that God is no respecter of person and he requires faithfulness in our life. It is not an option. It is not an option for us. And a lot of people think, well... I'll let the fanatics do the work in the church, but I'll just kind of coach. I got time. I mean, if I'd, you know, if I'd hear that trumpet sound, I'd, I'd repent really quickly. He said, don't miscalculate time. None of us have tomorrow. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, if any of you should seem to come short of it. I'm simply telling you the warning that God gives concerning unfaithfulness. He said, see what happened in the Old Testament? Many of them thought they were going to get away with it, and it didn't work. God pulled the plug before they thought he was going to. And he just said, all right. Now, let me just show you how it worked, though. And many of them, they said, no, we're not going into the promised land. It's filled with giants. And God says, boy, I'm going to take them out in the desert, and I'm going to work them over well. So Moses said, all right. God says, you're not going into the de- wilderness, into the promised land. You're going to go out in the wilderness, and you're going to wander around out there until the next generation. They said, oh, we didn't know he was going to do that to us. We'll go into the land. He said, no, don't go near the land now. God won't go with you. Well, we're going to go into the land. He'll come after us. And God says, I already said it. And they went in. They got chased out, clear out into the wilderness. And many of them got killed. And many, many times I see people saying, oh, I, I, I shouldn't have done this. I'll go back and I'll try to make it. And it's too late. The price has already been paid. The judgment has already been settled. God said, if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we reap life and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. Now, believe me, God wants us to have an abundant, joyful crop. But Satan comes along and tells you, go ahead and sow your wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. And it doesn't work that way. One more verse, and then we'll close. Revelation, the second chapter. Now, I want you to notice something. I'm not preaching to you out of the Old Testament. In fact, I'm going clear to the other end of the New Testament, so nobody will think I'm still in the Old Testament. I'm not preaching to you law. I'm preaching New Testament truth to you. Somebody said, Brother Webb, that's not Baptist. Oh, It's Bible. I'm more concerned about whether it's Bible than I am whether it's Baptist. Hello? I want you to just know that in case anybody gets concerned about the sign out front. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. Jesus Christ told John the Beloved to take this to the church of Ephesus, to send it to them. And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that are evil. Now, that's not a very bad testimony for a church, is it? You can't stand people that are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Praise God. They had discernment. And hast borne, and hast patience, 
and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Boy, I don't know about you, but I'd like to have that said about my church. How about you? Wouldn't that be nice if it would be said about our church? Have not fainted and we labored. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. See what he says? Remember and repent. Now he's talking to believers. He's saying you're doing all the good things that you're supposed to do, but you have left your first love. You don't love me like you once did. You aren't faithful to me like you once were. Now again, you understand that if I say to a, a husband and a wife, well, I remember when you first got married, you were just in love of one another. You just couldn't get enough time with one another. You would hold each other's hand and you give a little love pat from time to time and, and you called each other sweetheart and you called from the job and, and now you hear you are nitpicking and fussing and fighting with each other. You need to get back to that first love. You know, where every time you'd hear their voice, you, it, just a little jump and a tickle would come inside. And you could hardly stand to get back with them. You, now get back to that. You'd know exactly what I'm talking about. You know where you used to open that door and let them in really gently and say, here, honey, pick up your feet. Now put them in. That's it. Now and you close the door for them in the car. And now when you come out, you notice that she opens the door and starts to get in. You start off and you say, pick up your feet and get in here. Let's go. You know, he says, you've left your first love. And she says, well, you almost slow down for me. And Jesus said, now you're doing all the good things. I mean, you're still doing the cooking at home and you're still cleaning the house and you're still bringing the paycheck home every week and helping pay the bills and you're trying to keep the yard up, but you've lost your first love. And it just becomes a mechanical thing. Now, if you don't get back to it, I'm going to take the candlestick away and, and just let me conclude by saying this, that the church of Ephesus is gone. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. That's a New Testament church and Jesus said it. Now, if you say that's legalism and condemnation, then you're putting that charge against Jesus Christ because he said it. Faithfulness. To Matthew, the 25th chapter. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Matthew, chapter 25. We have been talking about faithfulness, the different aspects of it. God expects, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, that God expects us to be faithful. It is his nature and his nature being in us causes us to be in a position of responsibility to be found after the nature of God, like father, like son. The scriptures tell us very clearly it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. God does not say that this is a suggestion. God says this is mandatory that we who have the nature of Christ must cause, uh, allow God to cause us to become faithful in every area and aspect of our lives. That means to be true. It means to be loyal. It means to be steadfast. It means to be consistent to a person or a duty. And the Word says that the loyalty and the consistency and the devotion and the steadfastness should be in our devotion to Jesus Christ and the work to which He has called us, the ministry to which He's called us. We talked about the important areas of faithfulness that God desires in our lives. There are certain areas that are peripheral, but there are basic areas, areas that are primary that God looks for faithfulness. We suggested that the first one was in our love relationship to God. I talked with some ladies this past week, and they declared the church that they went to, and as I was talking with them, I said, let's, let's go beyond the labels. 
Paul said, if we have not Christ living in us as Lord and Master, anything else that we possess is of no value whatsoever. So I said, if we put the label Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Lutheran or whatever it is on the outside, that may be just a choice of places of fellowship. But that has nothing to do with whether we are a Christian or not a Christian. By knowing that there came a time when we received Christ into our lives and said, I believe that when He died, He died for me. When He rose again, He rose again for my justification. When I opened my heart's door, He came and He is living in my life. He came in by my invitation and has now become the master of the home. When that takes place, the Word says, He that hath the Son in Him hath life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, after you have settled upon that decision, then you begin to look around and say, now what label will I happen to walk into and find others of like faith? So the most important area of faithfulness that God looks for in the life of a believer is the son's obedience to the father, the child's obedience to the parent, our obedience and our relationship to Jesus Christ. Nothing is more vital than that. You can be a good father, you can be a good husband, a good wife, but if your relationship and obedience to Jesus Christ is not what it ought to be, the other things are not that important. When we come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, He will make us to be a better wife or husband, a better child, or have a better relationship with these others because of our love for Him and obedience to Him. Secondly, was your love for the Word. Now that is an appetite that also has to be stirred up. If a person says, I just can't read the Word, it, before long it comes to the place where what they're actually saying is, I won't read the Word. But I found out that if you will bring yourself to the Word and make yourself sit down, and let me tell you, it's not any easier for me many times to sit down and study than it is for you. But when I sit down and begin to get in the Word and then begin to write some notes down and begin to do some cross-reference work, before long the time flies, and I look up and say, goodness, I, didn't I, I can hardly believe that it's that late already. But in most cases, it's a case that we won't sit down and, and get into the Word. And God says that if, if we'll get the Word down in our heart, the more we get, the more we'll love it. And it's required that we know the Word. He said that we should get the Word down into our hearts. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And believers who want to know what it is to have a victorious walk with Jesus Christ need to understand that it's the Word in you that will bring that life that you desire in your daily walk. Thirdly, I said that it should be a love relationship for Christ's body. Now, I did not say a love relationship for just those in Calvary Baptist Church, for Christ's body. Now, let me tell you something. In this body, as well as many other bodies, there are people who have a form of righteousness. Some who feel that they're Christians, but have never can never point back and say, at that day and time, I may, I'm not talking about the minute, but I'm talking about there came a time when you were dead and you became alive. And from the evidence that you are alive is that when you made that commitment, since then you have had a walking relationship with Jesus Christ. Now you are going to get involved in some fellowship groups from time to time and in some uh, Bible study groups sometimes and you'll have people from all different denominations and some of them will be saved and some of them won't be saved. Many times, many of them think they're saved and they're not saved because they've never had explained to them what it means to be saved. But you will get a witness within your own spirit as you're sensitive to the Spirit of God those who know Christ personally in their heart. You should love them all, but you'll get a witness as to those who know what it is to have been dead and now have been made alive in Jesus Christ. And you should have a love for them, 
Now, you should have a love for all those in the world, but there is a special type of love that comes between one believer and another because you are life to the living and you are death to the dying. When those who are dead in trespass and sin see you come around, they feel ill at ease because they sense life in you. You walk up to another Christian who's filled with the life of Christ and all of a sudden you get lifted because the life that's in them begins to witness with the life that's in you and it just flows back and forth. That's an exciting thing. That's why the Lord wants us to have that love for the body that we might exhort and admonish and encourage and lift up and build up one another in the faith. And then the fourth area of faithfulness is that we are to have a love for the lost. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult for me to understand how people can enjoy so much fellowship with other Christians but not be concerned for the lost. I thank God there was a time that my sister became so burdened at Bible college that she asked all the rest of the students in the Bible college in the, in the uh, assembly when they had the, the whole church, the school come for assembly, stood up and gave a testimony and said, I've accepted Christ in this last year and I have this brother of mine at home and he can outcuss the sailor, and he does this, and he does that, and does all that. But he needs Christ. Will you pray with me and agree with me that he's going to be saved? And she said, I have to be honest with you. I told him that I thought you'd be the last of the eight kids to get saved. But I asked him to pray for you anyway. And, and I thank God she had a burden for the lost. Where when I came home, she came home from school, she'd witness to me. And God grant that we'll be faithful in witnessing to the unsaved, loving the unsaved, and witnessing to them, and letting them know how much Jesus Christ has done for you and what he'll do for them. So these are the areas of faithfulness. And then we talked about the results of unfaithfulness. And the results of unfaithfulness, I said that when a person comes and commits their life to God and begins to walk with the Lord, first of all, the Lord loves you. He loves you while you're yet in your sins, but how much more He loves you when you come in obedience and repent of your sins and begin to walk with Him. But then He says, now here's a warning. He says, you walk with me. If you're disobedient, He said, my children, I lay the rod to their back. He says, I chasten them betimes. The Lord says, I love you, but I love you so much that I don't want you to go astray. And so if you begin to go astray, I want you to know I will lay the rod to your back. That's the reward for unfaithfulness. And he said, if you are without chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons. So if you feel like God's been laying the rod to your back, you ought to just look up and say, Father, I thank you because you love me enough. I can remember a time in my, in my Christian experience when I went to my knees, knowing how weak I was, I said, Lord, I'm asking you, if ever you see me going into disobedience, that you put me down physically if you have to on my back. Do whatever you have to do to get my attention, to get me back where you want me to be. Whatever it takes, Lord, please keep me. I don't want to go astray from you. And then when he warns us, if we're obedient, then he begins to bless us again. If we ask for forgiveness and go on. If we don't, he warns us that he'll judge us. You see, when we walk out from under the protecting hand of God, we open ourselves to the attack of Satan. And this is an area that I don't even like to talk about, but I want you to know that God says that you can go out so far, and if you don't judge yourself, then he has to judge us by allowing us to walk out from under his protection where we are open to the attack of the enemy. And I, that, that's not a very pleasant subject. I'm not going to get it on heavily, but I just want you to know I've seen many times Christians who have walked out from under the protecting hand of God, and I've seen all sorts of problems and trials and tribulations come into their life. Sometimes they turn around and come back. Others I've seen never turn around, and it's a disaster. But God wants us to be faithful. Now, God's response to faithfulness, that's what I want to talk to you about today. God's response to faithfulness. Now, I'm not touching on everything I said in the last couple of weeks, by the way, but I was just trying to bring you up to date a little bit. God's response to faithfulness. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, uh, Matthew, the third chapter, excuse me, Matthew, the third chapter, Matthew, the 17th chapter, and Luke, the third chapter, 
you'll find references concerning God's response to faithfulness. In each one of these experiences, for example, in Matthew the 17th chapter and the 5th verse, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with some of the other disciples, and there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah, and Jesus began to get a glow about him. He was as though he were transfigured and, and was glorified and exalted by the Father. And when Peter saw this and the other disciples saw this, they fell down to worship, and Peter, of course, being very impetuous, spoke up and says, Oh, he said, let's build three tabernacles and stay right here. And he said, Then he heard a voice out of the heavens that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Three different times in the Gospels you'll find at least this is referred to. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Would you turn with me now? I ask you to turn before to Matthew, the 25th chapter, and this is why. I want to read to you, beginning with the 14th verse. Jesus, in teaching concerning the kingdom of heaven, and I do not believe that the kingdom of heaven is coming when the millennium comes again and God begins, or just before the millennium when God begins to deal with the Jews again. I believe the kingdom of heaven is on earth in those where Christ rules and reigns right now. We are citizens of another nation. We are His ambassadors and representatives of the heavenly kingdom here on earth right now. And we have all authority over the kingdom of this earth when we declare by faith that we are in Christ Jesus, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we take authority over principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. But Jesus was talking about it. He said, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered them unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several abilities, or to the proportion in proportion to their abilities and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them, or ask for an accounting. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying... Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, What? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Or the reward. Uh, he's talking about rewards there. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now, let me just stop and tell you something here. God didn't say to the one with two talents, You lazy sluggard, why didn't you do what the man with five talents did? It says, According to our abilities, in proportion to our abilities, God expects us to be faithful. He does not expect us to do more than we can do. I've heard some people say, oh, I'd just give anything if I could just do more. And I know that they're giving and giving and giving. And I said, God does not expect anything for you to give anything that you do not possess. But he does expect you to give all that you possess. Back to him that he can break it and bless it and multiply it and use it for his glory. So the two got the same, the one that doubled the two got just the same reward as the one that doubled the five. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. 
He was afraid. You know, the book of Revelation talks about the fearful. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, with interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he, that hath, that, that, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. 